Welcome to Girl Meets 30, a podcast exploring the unexpected journey to becoming a 30-something. Hi, I'm your host, Tara, here to share experiences from my 20s that have changed my life, while also interviewing others about their journeys. Through these conversations, I hope to inspire you to choose your best life and to prove you're not alone if you're feeling like life has taken you somewhere totally different than where you expected. In this space, we define our own success. Hey, what's up, you guys? Happy Monday. Today is MLK Day, so I think many of you are likely enjoying a day off work, so you probably would agree that it's a pretty happy Monday, but... Uh, As per usual, it's time to start off the episode by sharing some gratitude. So, Brooke says that she is grateful for having four days off after a very long four months, which, yeah, props to you, man. Like, you deserve those four days off. And also for having tons of laundry to do. This kind of led to a little bit of a discussion about just taking some time to yourself. And honestly, you shouldn't have to use chores as an excuse but if it's a convenient one by all means go ahead and use it but like yeah sometimes that's the best it's just like taking a day to yourself and just doing chores and decluttering and organizing and doing what you have to do to like clear that mental space but also as we talked about as just a reason to stay home and do what you need to do and just embrace that solitude you know so good for you. I hope you enjoyed your four days off and I hope that you enjoyed doing all that laundry. (laughs) Let's see. And Mike says that he's grateful for finally having finished painting his bedroom and that he's looking forward to putting everything back together and enjoying some peace this week. Man, I totally relate to this. I remember when I first came back to the States and it was meant to only be very, very temporary, like less than two months temporary. And without getting into too much detail about why that didn't happen, it didn't happen. So I ended up settling into the house that I grew up in, just kind of waiting for the next opportunity that I felt comfortable to go ahead and get back out into the world and start traveling again. So unfortunately, as soon as I finally felt ready and I had everything booked, well, 2020 happened. I ended up having to cancel all of my plans and ended up staying here. So all of this is relevant then because I was staying at my dad's house and that's where I grew up and the room that I was staying in was this just insane fluorescent green color. Like the walls were terrible. My dad had painted the walls this color when I went to study abroad in France because I was moving out of my apartment. I had to move everything into my home. I had nowhere else to put it. So I moved everything back to my childhood home and my dad was like, oh, well, I'll paint this room to match your decor. What color do you want it? And I was like, how about a light green? So while I was in France, dad painted the room light green and it was not light green. It was like a highlighter. It was so, so awful. I appreciate what he was trying to do, but it was not good. And so when I ended up getting stuck here for a little while in this room with these insanely bright, just chaotically bright green walls, it was so hard mentally. Like, I think people underestimate sometimes the impact that your environment has on your mental space. For me, it's 
like a, a really big deal and I'm very aware of it. So I just encourage you, like, think about that. You know, think about the clutter in your space. Think about the colors. Think about what you're feeling when you look at your space because it's really important. Even when you're sleeping, I think it's really important. Just, just think about it. But anyway, I wasn't planning on being here very long, and then I ended up getting stuck here, and so, so six months into the pandemic, I was, like, going crazy being in my room, and I couldn't handle staring at these fluorescent green walls, and I, I guess initially I didn't see the point in painting because I knew I wasn't going to be here very long, but finally I just went ahead and did it, and I cannot tell you enough how much, like, Paint's really not that expensive, and yeah, it takes a little bit of effort, but for the amount of just mental clarity that it gave me, I highly recommend. I think I spent like $30 or something to paint this entire room. It really did not cost me much at all, and my brain was just like free. It was amazing. So again, I just highly recommend doing that, and so Mike good job you for painting that and putting the room back together and looking forward to some peace because yeah, we all deserve that. So I hope that that has treated you well this week. And also that brings me to my highlight of the week, which is also in regard to a change in my environment. So just like painting can totally change everything about how you feel about that environment. So can a little feng shui. Now, (laughs) when I first heard of feng shui, It was from an episode of Lizzie McGuire. I feel like random things really stick in my brain. And for whatever reason, the episode where Gordo's grandma comes to visit and she feng shui's the house, that, I don't know, that stuck in my brain. That's where I learned about feng shui. I don't remember how much detail they actually go into about feng shui, but at the time, I just thought it was rearranging rooms. (laughs) Okay, editing Tara here. Um, I ended up looking into it a little bit, and apparently this episode of Lizzie McGuire, Gordo's grandma actually says that feng shui is all the rage in Japan, which kind of makes it feel like it's this, like, new thing, and also that it's Japanese, where its origins are Chinese. I mean, feng shui literally means wind, water in Chinese. So anyway, I'm... (laughs) I don't know what Disney was trying to do there. I don't love it. I'm very confused now. The point of me saying this is that's the first time I heard of feng shui and I was actually listening to a podcast recently where they interviewed someone about feng shui and I'm no expert by any means but I do genuinely value creating positive energy in a space and I don't know I just feel like that's not something that I was like raised to think about and so one of my big goals for the week was to rearrange my room in a in a way that the the space is going to serve me better and so that's the whole reason that I brought feng shui up in the first place and I thought it would be a little bit of fun for a little Lizzie McGuire throwback but little did I know that this was going to turn into some like just total like I don't know I don't know if it was ignorance I don't know what they were trying to do there but anyway there you have it. <laughs> but anyway, I ended up being pretty happy because I had three goals for this rearranging and one of them was just to overall improve like the the energy for productivity and just flow of the room because it just felt really inconvenient. I don't really know how else to explain it, but everything just felt uncomfortable and like it just put me in a bad place. Like it just wasn't 
It wasn't working for an office. It wasn't working for a place to sleep. It wasn't working as a place to teach. It wasn't working as a place to water my plants. Like it was just everything about it was very inconvenient. And so for me, that was one of the major things that I wanted to solve here. But I also wanted to provide myself with more floor space so that I could do some workouts if I wanted to. All I know is that the space wasn't working for me in a lot of ways. And I wanted to improve that. And so I did. I spent a lot of time just thinking about how I was going to rearrange this, what was going to be the best thing possible for me to improve my productivity and to make this a space that was going to just be better for me all around. So I had a lot that I wanted to accomplish with this. And honestly, I feel like I did a pretty good job and I got to declutter in the process. So it was, it turned out to be a good use of my time this week. And it's made this so this the space that I'm currently recording in or the space that I've been teaching in, the space that I've been sleeping in, the space that I've been able to get workouts in and do morning yoga or whatever has been really, really good. It's been so much better and I'm so much happier in the space than I was before. I'm super grateful for that. So like I said, I'm no feng shui expert. Clearly Gordo's grandma is also no feng shui expert. Oh my gosh. And, and I'm a little bit disappointed by that that dose of nostalgia right there, but... <sighs> So now it's your turn. Head on over to at girlmeets30 on IG. Check out my Insta stories and you can find the little questions, stickers, so you can share your highlights with me and be featured in next week's episode. Alright, since it's still early in this podcast, I wanted to continue to set the foundation for how I got here and to elaborate a little more about how I was kind of forced to stretch my elastic band in the first place and really get out of my comfort zone. But before I get into that, I want to talk a little about Rugrats. (laughs) I had a moment as I was planning this episode that reminded me of a specific episode of Rugrats. First of all, did you guys know that you could watch those on Hulu? Because I just found out and I ended up going back and watching the episode that I thought of just to make sure I was remembering it correctly. And honestly, it was so much fun. I super loved that. That was great. Does anybody ever go back and watch shows from your childhood? If so, you'll have to let me know which ones because I don't usually do that. I'm not a huge TV watcher anymore. And I don't know, after watching this episode, I kind of want to go back and rewatch some of the shows I used to watch as a kid. I don't know, we'll see. And now they're all like, all the Disney ones are on Disney Plus. So I feel like I should just go check out some of these and see what else is on Hulu too. Anyway, this is the episode where Chucky is afraid of the monster under his bed. The episode starts with Chucky being like super comfy and cozy and waking up all happy in his crib and he ends up going to hang out with Phil and Lil and Tommy and he's just in this like state of pure bliss and they're like, what's up with Chucky? I've never seen him so happy before. And he's just super happy about waking up in his crib apparently. I don't know why this day is any different, but anyway, he's super happy to have woken up in his crib and he's telling them all about it. And then they realize that like his crib's being taken away. So he goes running into the room trying to figure out what's going on. Well, he's getting a big boy bed. He's graduated. This is exciting. Should be, but it's not. He has a huge meltdown. Have you ever felt like that before? Because I definitely did. 
<laughs> and I'll get into that. But on the first night that he has to stay in his bed, he makes the bed seem so much scarier than it is, but it's all in his head. He imagines a noise, he tries to talk himself down, but his fear continues to build up, and he starts imagining this monster under his bed that's, like, actually talking to him, and it just, again, like, totally freaks him out. He ends up taking a peek under the bed and seeing that there is a monster. So the next day, naturally, he's sharing with the babies about the monster under his bed and they're all doing the right thing they're all telling him no that's not where monsters live Chucky you're fine there's, there's nothing for you to be afraid of so while Chucky is talking to the babies Angelica being the evil bully that she is seizes this opportunity to really scare him by telling him about this story of a kid who was eaten by the monster under the bed okay don't listen to bullies bullies suck so later on that night, they end up having a sleepover at Chucky's where Tommy sleeps with him. Tommy, being the brave baby that he is, tells Chucky that he has to go under the bed and face this monster or he's going to be afraid forever and ever. So naturally, Chucky is very afraid and asks Tommy to go with him and Tommy's a good friend. So they both plop down on the floor and they lift up the blanket at the same time and they look under the bed and they start screaming. So Chaz, Chucky's dad, comes in and he turns the lights on and he realizes that what they're screaming at that's under the bed is just his sweater that he was wearing when they put the bed together. I don't know why he took it off. I don't know why he put it under the bed. We don't ask questions. It's a TV show. But that's what happened. So in the end, Chucky learns there's nothing to be afraid of. He decides that he's going to like his new bed and that this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. He has now expanded his comfort zone. Yeah, it may take some getting used to, but like I said, he realized there was nothing to be afraid of and that he had built this up into some intensely scary reality that didn't actually exist. I think it's common for those of us with anxious tendencies to do this sort of thing know, to, to anticipate a situation that's outside of our comfort zone and start to worry and build it up into something even scarier than it actually is. I mean, who knows what would have happened had Tommy not stayed over for a sleepover that night? Would Chucky ever have faced his fears, which ultimately led to his dad coming in and showing them that it was just a sweater? I don't know. How long would that fear have built up and built up? And where would that have led? It's, it's hard to say, but this is something that a lot of us do. We just let it build up and build up and it's like, ugh, it's terrible. I know I used to do that all the time. Also, it's great to have a friend like Tommy who's going to encourage you and tell you there's nothing to be afraid of and that if you don't face your fears, you'll always be afraid. He's a very wise baby, but eventually you will have to learn to do that for yourself. And I think when you understand that most things are worse in your head than they are in real life, it becomes a little, a little easier to calm yourself down. It's not always effortless. Let's face it, emotions are pretty irrational. <laughs> but being able to channel that logical side and especially being able to do that when you have previous experience to relate to or you've actually learned that it's not so bad. So you have to do it once. You have to get there. You have to have that experience in your brain that tells you, oh yeah, 
this probably isn't that bad. Otherwise, you're probably not going to believe yourself. But once you do that, once you have that experience, I feel like that strengthens your emotional brain's ability to believe the logical side of your brain. It's not going to do it by default, but you might be able to calm yourself down and talk talk a little bit of sense into yourself in that situation. Yeah, it's okay to be nervous. You can acknowledge those feelings, but like not to let it consume you, which is something that I did for most of my life. And I know that the brain is super complex and I'm no brain expert. I do not claim to be one, but I'm just speaking from my personal experience while relating it to the regrets. But it is important, I think, to recognize when you're building something up into something way bigger than it needs to be and how that affects you and how that keeps you from doing something that you otherwise probably could have accomplished. And also, when you finally do turn the lights on and you finally truly see whatever it is for what it is when you finally take an action and you're in it you realize that it really wasn't a big deal after all and that's what I experienced the first time that I truly ventured out of my comfort zone and faced my fears As you know from the previous episode, I was terrified of a lot of things, especially in high school. I mean, I was always an anxious kid, but high school got pretty bad for me. If I had to give a presentation or got called back for auditions for a musical, I'd have a meltdown. And that's a true story. Even my senior year of high school, I got called back for our senior musical and I cried. Like, like worse than Chucky meltdown. I was probably practically hyperventilating. But why? Like, why? It was going to be in front of plenty of people who had heard me sing before. And if they hadn't, they were likely decent friends of mine. I mean, it never felt like an unsafe environment for me. And yet, I totally freaked out. I mean, knowing myself then, none of that really surprises me. Would I be nervous now? Yeah, but probably like a healthy amount of nervous. I don't know, I used to dread so many things because I wouldn't even want to like raise my hand to participate. I would only do that voluntarily if I was 100% sure that I had the correct answer. I don't know, that's definitely where my perfectionism really hindered me, but dealing with perfectionism is a topic for a whole other episode. But as I said before, I was at a point in my life where I always felt inadequate and that didn't really change when I started attending university. When I started, I was very envious of people who were able to reinvent themselves at that time. A lot of people did that. They left high school as one person and reinvented themselves when they got to college. I was not able to do that. Fear still ran my life, but somehow in a subtler way. My first year, I just chose not to challenge myself in any way. As I mentioned, my classes were a lot easier, so that was kind of nice, but I also felt like I was getting praise for like not doing anything. And I had kind of just continued to do what I had always done, what I had always found comfortable, which was being the supporting role. So I got involved on campus, but only as a general member, just attending everything, showing up early to help, bringing people with me to events and meetings. And that was cool. I loved that. I was very comfortable here. But like I said, I was not challenging myself in any way, and nor did I have any desire to. I remember during that second semester, some of the executive members of this organization had reached out and asked me to apply for one of their executive positions. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I just told them no. It's like, 
uh, absolutely not. What? Why would they say that? I could never do that. I also remember a few of them pushing back just a little and, and trying to understand why I wouldn't because it didn't make sense to them. They were like, you attend everything. You bring people. You're very enthusiastic about this organization. Like, you're reliable. Why? Why? Why, <laughs> why not? And I don't, again, I don't remember what excuse I used, what I tried to say in order to, like, save face. I, I really don't know, but... I, inside, just felt like they had the wrong girl. Why me? Why would you want me in an executive position? That doesn't make any sense. Do you even know me? Are you out of your mind? There's just no chance. Like, no. (laughs) And they did let it go. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I was just really certain that that wasn't an option for me. I was like, nope. No, I'm good. I'll just continue to be a general member. It's fine. Then I applied to work at an amusement park that summer. I got hired to work at a roller coaster, and it seemed really fun and exciting, and I couldn't wait. That is, until very early in the season, when the team leaders had to pick someone to be in charge in their absence. For breaks, days off, etc. And for some reason, they asked me, yet again. (laughs) I said no. I said, nope, I, I can't do that. That's not me. Like, not gonna happen. I mean, I wasn't even willing to spiel. You know, the person with the, the microphone saying the same thing on loop for 30 minutes until the next person takes over. Yeah, I was not willing to do that. I mean, I did eventually have to do it because it's part of the job, but I, I mean, I, I pushed back on it for like a week and they're like, okay, you have to do it. But if I wasn't even brave enough to do that, like why would they even consider me? I mean, it was pretty clear that I was afraid of the spotlight. I just didn't understand why they would have considered me. Why would they ask me to be an in-charge? And after I said no, (laughs) my leader told me that he wanted me to just consider it. He said, if you really don't want it, that's fine. But don't decide right now. Go home, think about it, just relax a little, and tell me tomorrow. And so I did that. I went home. I didn't relax. I called my mom. (laughs) I cried a lot. I told her I was going to quit that I probably wasn't even going to show up for work the next day. I was done. I felt like I had no way of winning here. I felt if I say no, then the amount of shame I'm going to feel is I can't come back from it. I decided. I was like, I can't. I can't work here because I'm going to feel so much shame saying no. And then I decided if I said yes, that I was guaranteed to fail miserably. So what was I going to do? There's no way out of here. So that's why I was like, I'm going to quit. The only option. (laughs) And my mom managed to talk some sense into me. She said, well, they said you don't have to do it, right? Right. So you could try it, decide it's not for you, and then they train someone else, right? Right. (laughs) And they obviously saw something in you and believed you could do it or they wouldn't have asked. So why not just give it a shot? If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. They've already said it's not a big deal. So what's the harm in trying? And I don't know. I guess... For whatever reason that worked for me, I don't really know why it did, but it did. And I went in the next day and I said I would do it. And I ended up getting trained to be in charge. And then when the time finally came for me to actually be in charge, it wasn't a big deal. And I say that because I honestly don't remember it. What I remember most is the freak out I had when I found out that they wanted me to be in charge. (laughs) Because that was the hardest part of the whole thing. That was the buildup. That was me being in my head. That was me freaking out about it. That was me being totally terrified of something I didn't need to be afraid of. That's the part that impacted me. But in the moment that I was actually in charge, 
My guess is that I don't remember it because in that situation, it was very clear that it was just a sweater under my bed and not the monster that I had built it up to be. And in that situation, I also learned the value of borrowing someone else's belief in you. You might not have the confidence that you need, but knowing that someone else knows that you can do it can be really helpful. And I think that's ultimately the point that my mom had made on the call that night that really convinced me to give it a shot. And from that summer on, things changed. The following school year, I kicked myself for not having the guts to apply for that executive position in the student org before. I mean, it killed me that year, like not being able to be on the exec board and just seeing what I had missed out on. And just knowing that I had to wait one full academic year to be in the position I really wanted to be in, that sucked. (laughs) So while I definitely had some regrets that year, I don't really like to use that term, but I definitely felt some regret that year. And it's probably one of the few times in my life that I can honestly say that I like felt regret. Regret's not a favorite term of mine, mostly because I feel like there's always an opportunity to learn from something. So I feel like if you learn from it and you make positive change, then it's probably not worth like regretting. I don't know. That's just a, a personal thing for me. I feel like regret is such a negative word. And I feel like if you can take the negatives in your life and turn them into a positive, then it's a learning experience rather than a regret, in my opinion. But that experience taught me not to let opportunities pass me by just because I'm afraid. So the following summer, I went back to that amusement park, but this time I had a leadership position for my own crew rather than just, you know, in the absence of my leaders like the year before. When I returned to school for my third year, I was in fact an executive board member for that organization, which I later went on to be president of. I had a radio show with a friend. I studied abroad at one of the absolute hardest times in my life that I I really learned through that experience how strong I was. I did door-to-door sales, which, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that required a little bit of a push out of the nest in order to get me to fly, but I did it. And eventually I ended up moving to China, pretty much on a whim. It was a very spontaneous decision, and I ended up staying there for three years teaching English before I ended up moving to the UK for a little while and then coming home. I mean, I just look at the person that I I am now, the person that I grew into throughout my 20s, and I just feel completely unrecognizable to the person that I was in high school. And I hope that a lot of you are the same. I hope that you have had experiences in your 20s that have really helped you grow and and find yourself. But in summary, the three main takeaways here are, one, things are usually way worse in our heads. We build them up into these giant monsters when they're really nothing but a tacky sweater under the bed. Two, it's okay and encouraged, if needed, to borrow someone else's belief in you especially until you can start to build your own belief. And if you can't find that someone, well, I think you should start thinking about adding to your friend circle. So I'm not going to tell you to not be friends with those people, but I'm just going to say that you deserve to be around people who lift you up, not people who pull you down. And honestly, not people who just want you to stay stagnant with them. There are people like that and you have to figure out who you're spending the most time with. So if you need to get around people that are going to help you grow your belief in yourself, then you should definitely do that. And number three, Oftentimes feeling uncomfortable because you're doing something that is out of your norm is actually a sign that you're growing. So take that feeling of being uncomfortable as the feeling of growth. 
Like I said in the last episode, that's the feeling that I started to crave. That was when I knew that I was doing something that was making me a stronger version of myself. So maybe some of you hear my story and how I got here and you think maybe it's not that extreme. I don't know. Everyone's story is different. But for me, it was truly transformational. And I owe all the risks I've been brave enough to take, all the growth I've seen for myself, all the cultures I've experienced around the world, everything that I have done in the last 10 years. I owe to that single decision to face my fears that summer working as a ride host at an amusement park. All right, thanks guys so much for sticking around to hear my story. I hope something in here has resonated with you and hopefully helps you create some positive change in your own life. Stay tuned next week for my very first guest and some real talk about turning 30. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Girl Meets 30. If you're looking for more ways to engage in these discussions about growing ourselves through this chaotic, beautiful mess we call life, then come join the conversation on Instagram you can find me at Girl Meets 30. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating and a follow on your preferred listening platform. Thanks again for your support, and I'll catch you guys next week. <laughs>